Can you hear me? You know I'm not a techie. Will, can you hear? Okay, let me try this. I can hear you. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Can you hear me? Hello. 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 Can you hear me? I can hear you. Can you hear me? Okay, I guess the problem with my headset. I'm so sorry. Okay, uh, I'm going. We're going to probably have to edit this out again. Looks like you called twice. You still there? Yeah, but uh, sorry, I'm speaking English. Okay, it's the wrong number here. Hold on. Okay. Okay. Will, you there? Uh, yes, can you hear me? Yes, I can I can hear you now. Can you hear me okay? Yes, I can. Okay, sorry about that. We've had some technical difficulties, and I apologize to the audience because this is actually, um, we were trying to do this live. So we're just going to move on with it, and I'll see if I can edit out this awkward business later. Okay, so as I, I don't know if you heard the introduction I gave you, um, So once again, I'm going to let our audience know that Will Lehman was a presidential candidate for the UAW leadership role. Um, He was an independent candidate, and a lot of the things that Sean Fain has been credited with really came from Will Lehman's playbook. Um, Sean Fain, as you know, is the UAW president, and he's directing the strike in strategic ways, but Fain wasn't always the fighter. He's been characterized by the corporate press. Um, In my opinion, he's fighting because, again, former UAW presidential candidate Will Lehman, who's on the line now, has been nipping at his heels. Practically every strategic move Fain is now employing came from Will Lehman's playbook. So 
So I welcome Will to PNN, and we're going to discuss not only the details of this labor fight, uh, as it's been mentioned in the mainstream press, but also many labor fights and what is the future for labor, what actually has to happen politically to basically uh, prevent this kind of corporate predatory move that we see right now. And again, I apologize to the audience for all the tech problems we had. We lost 15 minutes. Uh, we're going to be looking for a new um, platform for PNN. But with no further ado, again, welcome to the show, uh, Will. So, um, Hi, thanks for having me. Uh, my pleasure. So I have quite a few questions here, and this is going to be pretty impromptu. Uh, it's been kind of a crazy time lately. Uh, I just finished a piece on um, uh, basically a man who's been wrongfully convicted of murder, and now we're kind of doing this. So um, I would like you first to basically tell our audience uh, what the UAW was like leading up to the recent election why you ran for the union president and what issues you were pushing to the forefront first. Well, essentially uh, the UAW has developed uh, basically isolated itself as a bureaucratic cast of representatives that are off the shop floor and not tied to the workers. And their interests are primarily in protecting the privileges that they've uh, essentially got for themselves off of our dues money. Uh, mm-hmm. There's 450 bureaucrats in the Solidarity House that make $75 million a year off our dues. And this kind of uh, lifestyle they have where they're not uh, accountable to the membership um, caused this uh, corruption scandal to come to the surface where it was found that uh, two of the past four presidents were embezzling our dues uh, over a dozen UAW officials in the international were uh, taking bribes from management or embezzling dues, uh, basically went to prison uh, for their crimes against essentially the entire membership. Uh, So this basically caused the government to intervene and run an election uh, to basically clean up the image of what the UAW is. And uh, by essentially offering the membership the ability to pick uh, who their president is, they can wash their hands of uh, essentially the corruption and say, well, you picked this person now. Uh, The reason I intervened uh, was I was a part of uh, the International Workers Alliance of Rank and File Committees um, before running for this. Uh, And most of the demands and uh, what I was calling for were the IWA RFC's demands and what that was calling for as a group. Uh, so it wasn't just mine alone and wasn't my strategy alone, just to be clear. And I ran specifically on the grounds of abolishing that entire uh, bureaucracy of the UAW, both at the international and the local level. Anyone uh, basically getting money off our dues, not tied to the work, uh, they're not essential to me. Uh, what is essential to me is that every worker has a direct say, and that's the using the establishment of rank-and-file committees in what's going on and, and how we fight and how we uh, work together, not only nationally, but internationally. And that's a key question for us as a class is whether we see ourselves just in one country 
or as an international working class because these companies are transnational. If you're going to fight them as a working class, you need to have an international class strategy. And that's what brought me to the IWARC to begin with. But that's why I ran specifically on those grounds. Okay. So could you fill in our listeners to what the IWAIC is? Because all those acronyms don't really mean much to the average person who's not involved. Sure. Uh, Basically, uh, the short term of it is a rank-and-file committee. Uh, But it is a part of the International Workers Alliance of Rank-and-File Committees. It was okay. an initiative uh, put forth by the International Committee of the Fourth International. Uh, that's uh, basically uh, the part uh, a part of the uh, Socialist Equality Party um, in the U.S. anyway, but it's a worldwide party uh, has different sections in different countries. But it's mm-hmm. to I mean, the the form of it is essentially for workers to uh, both educate ourselves and in the basically the class nature of what we're fighting, and also mm-hmm. to link up across different shop floors internationally, and not only in in one sector like auto, but across multiple. I mean, we see struggles breaking out, whether it's writers and actors or uh, UPS uh, workers or rail workers last year. Uh, What workers need is to take these kinds of struggles into their own hands uh, instead of leaving it up to these uh, different uh, nationalist trade union bureaucracies. Like, I mean, we see like Unifor is essentially the same thing as the UAW Uh, in in terms of their approach is only in one country alone and bargaining using basically uh, up to the legality of what uh, both the company and the state says is okay and and workers continue to lose i mean as the newsweek uh, publication pointed out mm-hmm. uh we continue to have a sliding uh pay and benefits over decades as a result mm-hmm. of that right uh let's talk about some of the issues that are going on with the strike right now so for instance one of the issues was something about a tier system could you explain that to the average person please Yes. Uh, so essentially, a wage labor in the plants used to be uh, you were off your 90 days probationary period, you got mm-hmm. top rate. Well, the tier system that was implemented uh, and agreed to by the UAW reps uh, who aren't working under it um, essentially is a system where you have to wait years uh, in order to reach that same equality of pay while still being forced to have a job that is a full uh, job in a, in a factory. You're doing 100% work, uh, but you don't get 100% pay. So that can take different forms. Um, it can be temporary part-time workers uh, who only get sometimes one day of work, of work a week uh, mm-hmm. or get as many days of work a week as a full-time employee, but not the same pay and benefits and representation. Uh, and it's not only a tier just in, in that sense either. I mean, mine t- looks a little different in terms of how many years it takes you to ramp up to get to uh, top rate. And I'm still mm-hmm. under that tier. And uh, workers that started after me, even in my plant, are under an even worse tier. And these are all basically just in benefits and pay and 
uh, different mm-hmm. other uh, things that uh, workers are forced to be under because the UAW conceded these things over the years. So in other words, people that are under the tier system are probationary indefinitely in reality. Uh, in some cases, in some cases, yes. In some cases, uh, there's an initial, looks like it's an amount of years that you have to wait, but that's mm-hmm. not always set in stone either. I can give you an example, like they say in my plant, six years to top rate. Well, if you're laid off, uh, that doesn't count towards your time towards top rate. If uh, with the coronavirus pandemic that shut, where workers essentially shut down the auto industry because of wildcats, uh, and I mean, it essentially forced the hand of, of the government to intervene so workers didn't take matters into our own hands and have a temporary shutdown of 10 weeks, uh, that uh, counted against workers in a lot of cases, even though it didn't matter that we didn't cause that. Um, right. So there are different factors that the company uh, leverages against the workers uh, with the UAW's help uh, to enforce these different tiers of, of uh, basically unequal pay and unequal e- <clears throat> benefits. Okay. So, you know, let's go to Sean Fain and the present strike. All right. Um, now, I've seen quite a few uh, articles, especially from the WSWS.org website, and there's quite a few workers that want to go what they call full force. In other words, they want a full-blown strike. Instead, Thane has chosen this strategic, it's called strategic, and I'm aghast at even a progressive, uh, web, a progressive uh, broadcaster like the Young Turks you know, said, oh, this is brilliant because they don't know who's going to go out. And in the meanwhile, there are certain plants that are still working. What What are your thoughts about this strategy where some well, go out absolutely. working? The main right. strategy involved in this is uh, Fain is working to protect the strike fund. That is the number one most important thing uh, to the international uh, UAW is protecting that strike fund like it's their own private purse. It's not the will of the membership that he's worried about. And that's why some workers are working under expired contracts, uh, being treated unfairly or un, uh, against essentially what they would nominally be protected under if they had a contract in place. Uh, and that was the point of extensions uh, mm-hmm. that the UAW legally has to protect some workers under an, an extension where uh, it seems that now this is not the case. I mean, he says that uh, workers should report it to him. Well, that's all after the fact. That's all after the company abuses the worker. Right. So basically the UAW is trying to protect the strike fund like it's its own private purse. The membership overwhelmingly voted to strike, 97%. The workers mm. wanted to fight. They wanted to hit. And it's their money, that uh, 800-some million dollar strike fund is the workers' money to begin with. And they should be able to do whatever they deem necessary with it. And right. to me, that includes if they want to back workers in Mexico with it uh, that go out on strike in support of them. If they want to back workers in Hyundai and South Korea. Uh, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter what the workers want to do if we're all in collective agreement uh, that's their money to use as they see fit, but that's not how the international UAW sees it. They see it as 
They're trying to protect it as their own private purse and their own, uh, basically, uh, privileges. You know, that's their future money as they see it. So that's why they're doing what they're doing instead of having all the factories out. Hmm. So what what do you think? I mean, let's talk about Sean Fain for a minute because this, this strategy has been heralded as genius. To me, it seems rather stupid because – you know, once again, I, I'm a member of, I've been a member of two unions, both teachers unions, because before journalism, I was a special educator for 30 years in a school system. So I've been a member of both the American Federation of Teachers and the National Education Association. Um, and I guess my question, you know, basically, if everybody goes out, everything comes to a grinding halt. And this really seems like, I don't know, it seems like Fain is putting a Band-Aid on a cancer. Um, does Fain have a history of this type of, of uh, incrementalism, which is kind of useless? I mean, what is Sean Fain's history? Because nobody's talking about it. Well, he's essentially been a part of uh, the international for over a decade now. I mean, he was under Ray Curry, uh, under Cindy Estrada. So, I mean, he's really, I mean, he's just a bureaucrat. He's hes kind of your typical, he's adopted the line, like uh, was mentioned earlier, of the IWA RFC and the demands he's calling for. But the reason he's doing that is because he uh, recognizes the overwhelming uh, urge of the workers to fight. And then right. uh, if he doesn't, co-opt it, if he doesn't vent the steam of it, it's going right. to get out of the hands of the UAW and out of the hands of the U.S. government. Um, exactly. Same thing with teachers, too. I mean, the huh. AFT, Randy Weingarten, making somewhere around the uh, half a million dollar a year range, right. and her push to get teachers back in school uh, during COVID. Exactly. And, you know, leading to this mass infection and everything else is the same thing. She's promoted as some kind of uh, hero for in some publications. <laughs> yeah, I no, I I hear you. Uh, I was already retired. Uh, if I hadn't have been, I would have had to go out, as they say, because I'm medically vulnerable. And you know, once again, I agree with you because like Randy Weingarten at AFT and whoever the leader is of NEA, they've been asleep at the wheel. They have permitted not only during COVID, but they permitted these constant attacks on teachers and teachers unions, constant slander. Um, and, you know, let's face it, uh, the UAW membership in the United States is what, 45,000? About? Uh, no, the, there's total, there's 1.1 million UAW members, okay. something like 600,000 retired. And uh, auto workers is a smaller portion of that. The UAW okay. expanded to different sectors to like uh, University of California has 40-some thousand uh, members, 48, I believe, uh, that were on strike last year. And essentially, sure. horrible working conditions, can't afford to live there. Uh, one right. of the most exp expensive places to live in the country, or if not the exp most expensive, and mm -hmm. it's the same thing. All the UAW cares about is dues money. And I yeah. don't think Randy Weingarten is any different in terms of – I don't no. think she's asleep at the wheel. 
uh, not that you're saying this, but I think what she did was deliberate. It was oh, yeah. uh, get the kids back in school so the parents can go back to work and generate money for right. their different corporations. It's, it's uh, intentional. Well, and Randy Weingarten, she likes to push herself as an educator because she teaches at the college level. But the fact is she's a licensed attorney. She did not spend her entire career actually as a teacher. And it is very strategic. Um, and, you know, when you look at the teachers unions, uh, AFT, I believe, is 1.75 million strong and NEA is 3 million strong. No wonder they're being attacked. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> Don't mean to cough in your ear, Willa. Okay, so no, you're good. <clears throat> that's why I had to go out. Um, I have a chronic lung disorder. So, uh, so Sean Fain is a bureaucrat, and you know, once again, let's. A lot of people in our audience they don't know all the stuff that was going on. Now, for instance, from the from the membership, you guys had to fight to get an open election for a union president. Could you please, that was about a year or so ago, could you please explain what happened? Well, I mean, it it was billed as a, I don't believe that it was only the membership that caused there to be a direct election. But the U.S. government does view the UAW as valuable, just like any other trade union, to keeping mm-hmm. the workers under some degree of control. Uh, to not let a fight break out that they uh, can't contain. And it's the same thing with rail workers last year um, under the Teamsters. They could have essentially shut down the entire country had they struck, but Mm -hmm. they deliberately avoid – or Sean – blanking on his name now. I know it's Sean – another – Sean O'Brien in the Teamsters, president of the Teamsters, essentially maneuvered so they – were not allowed to strike and basically essentially worked uh, with the government uh, to avoid mm-hmm. that until Biden's Department of Labor or Biden's, I guess, establishment or administration rather, uh, mm-hmm. shut down legally their ability to strike. It did, yeah. So it's by design that, uh, you know, these unions are, are doing what they're doing in, in terms of they're essential. So uh, they need to clean the image of you know, these unions up, it's not just a matter of the union pick or the workers uh, all rising up to uh, initiate this direct election. I mean, they did send out uh, ballots, but again, not a lot of workers did not know that there was even an, the election for that. Um, and it points to the Lewis system that they use, uh, local union information system, and they don't have uh, membership uh, rosters there. I mean, they only have like a hundred some thousand people out of 1.1 million that they have the information of. And right. It's mostly tied to uh, the union apparatus. Basically, it's supposed to be a way for the union to communicate with other reps. Right. You know, so right. it, it cut. Uh, Judge David Lawson, when I was suing uh, for the UAW to extend the election, said uh, that it even cu- it kind of cuts out the membership. Well. Right. You know, that's what also my lawsuit about, you know, extending the election, making it aware, uh, workers aware that there even was one. And mm-hmm. same thing with now I'm suing the Department of Labor for a rerun of the election for workers to actually know that there was one. In the first mm-hmm. round, there was only 9% turnout. Oh, um, God. So 
it wasn't because of apathy. I mean, the the union reps blame it on worker apathy, essentially. The workers didn't even know, and they were coming forward. They were giving affidavits to my campaign that uh, they hadn't known that there was an election or they couldn't get a ballot. And, I mean, look at how they voted in to strike. They're certainly not apathetic about that. No. Uh, 97% strike vote. Right. And one of the issues basically leading up to the election that ousted former President Ray Curry um, was that uh, my understanding is that apparently the Ray Curry, who was the president at the time, along with the executive board, they were negotiating contracts and basically presenting the membership just with basically summations, but they, they wouldn't tell membership the details and, you know, the devil's in the details. Could you speak to that, please? Yes. Uh, Sean Fain uh, has billed himself as running on transparency, and mm-hmm. he has put out a lot of videos uh, where he's describing what's going on uh, with negotiations and things like that. But what workers need, and even what the IWARC called for when Curry was in, was everything needs to be bargained on the shop floor in full view of workers, uh, something like live streamed and able to Mm -hmm. be reviewed by workers and other plants. And I know that uh, workers watch different struggles of different, like SAG-AFTRA. There are multiple auto workers I've talked to that are interested in what's going on with uh, writers and actors, Um, interested in the rail worker fight. Workers are interested in other workers' fights. So we right. should be able to view everything that's going on uh, with both the company and the union reps. What, whatever they're talking about, the workers mm-hmm. have a right to know, and that's not happened under Fain, even though he claims to be transparent. Uh, what he's talked about with Biden behind closed doors has not been made public to the membership. Right. Uh, so it's, it's these things that, uh, yeah, Curry was not transparent. I agree with that. But Fane is not either. He just has more promotional videos uh, going right. up now. We have fundamentally no more transparency than we did then. Right. So what kinds of, of details in the past contract were basically omitted during those talks under Curry? And... Uh, the lowlights. The what? Essentially the lowlights. Um, now, they have these... Basically, they release essentially a highlight list. Uh, Mm -hmm. They do claim that the full contract is available, but you're only allowed at different locals. uh, They let workers uh, know that the full contract is available, but you only can view it at the local union hall. There's no, like, PDF available where you can review it. Um, And naturally, not everyone has hours and hours to spend at a local union hall when you're working, in some cases, seven days a week, 10 hours a day and have a family, uh, you're not going down to the local union hall to sit for a couple hours and compare, you know, one document to another. But, I mean, essentially, that's what's omitted is, is all those things that they give up that they don't tell you about until the contract is ratified uh, based on, uh, hearsay of the union. Now, another big thing with a lot of auto workers too is the the vote counting and mm-hmm. ballot stuffing. Essentially, mm-hmm. that is also not able to view by the membership. Uh, they put it in a locked box, take it back to the 
local union hall, at least in our case, and you never see any of that. They just tell you the results. And, I mean, there's been some very shady contracts passed. Uh, NRV, New River Valley Volvo, in 2021, uh, sure. the contract was claimed to have passed by 17 votes after they rejected it three times. So, And on the fourth time, the company demanded they re-vote on the same thing, and the UAW allowed it and held a re-vote, and then it magically passed by 17 votes. So there's a lot of different things that aren't transparent to the membership now. Um, and like we were talking about, the low lights, what they actually give up uh, isn't always released is never really released to the membership until it's after it's ratified. Right. Okay. So uh, the next question I want to ask you is about the auto industry. You know, the auto industry was bailed out in 08, and then again, both by the, the administration of George W. Bush and Barack Obama. And yet, you know, taxpayers, I don't know if they've been paid back, but it seems like the automakers got bailed out. They're making record profits, and they are not only abusing their employees in terms of working conditions, but they're refusing to pay them a living wage. Your thoughts on this? Well, that is, I mean, what workers essentially need to understand is what capitalism fundamentally is, and that is capitalism. Uh, that's not, it's not, Spain likes to chalk it up to, Corporate greed. The corporations are not emotional about what they're doing. It's mm -hmm. a system, an economic system that's currently in place mm -hmm. that uh, basically funnels the exploited wealth off the workers into mm -hmm. the hands of the ruling class, the shareholders, the corporation, basically people like Mary Barra, uh, any of the CEOs, um, mm -hmm. that ha especially ones with these stock options and everything else. They are the private property owning class and mm -hmm. that's it's it's a broader economic system it's not just a matter of and that's what the state protects the state mm -hmm. protects their ability uh, to make private profit uh, they protect their private property when they don't allow workers to uh picket and block you know labor going well whether it be uh trucks or anything else going in and out of the factories when they're on strike that's what the state's protecting their private property they're protecting the capitalist ruling class and not protecting the workers, no matter if it's a Republican or a Democrat in the presidency. Right. And, right. Uh, Biden can bill himself as pro-labor and pro-union as much as he wants, but he's essentially uh, going to protect uh, these companies no different than Trump would. And, uh, you know, workers do need to understand that there's a bigger economic system at play here uh, that it's not just a matter of greedy companies keeping all the money for themselves or uh, Mary Bear is just uh, mean and that she's just taking, she's just greedy. It doesn't, you know, it's, it's a bigger system than that. It doesn't explain it, especially on a world scale too, um, which uh, capitalism as a system does explain uh, why things are the way they are now. And it does raise the question of, and as a, as was tried to uh, point out in the Newsweek article, uh, the mm -hmm. social relations that we're under now, and would society be better run if workers were in control of these things? Our tax dollars already went to it once, so we essentially already bought it once. You know, yeah. so, uh, and if they're not fit to lead it, 
if they're not fit to, uh, you know, carry, uh, I mean, like you said, they need to be bailed out once. Well, whose decision-making caused that? Theirs. If they're not fit to run it, then why doesn't it open up the question that if the workers, the taxpayers already paid for it, why isn't it nationalized or internationalized? Right. All the vehicles we build are uh, internationally made. I mean, whether parts from Italy, Spain, um, Mexico, China, Canada, you know, th- this is an international working class question in terms right. of, you know, who's calling the shots. And that's the same thing with teachers, too. Uh, with mm-hmm. all the money that's taken and dues, uh, you know, that goes to like Randy Weingarten's salary and everything else, it mm-hmm. raises the question, what could we do with all the extra wealth that we're generating? Um, you know, I mentioned in the Newsweek article about uh, $500,000. I'd have to find the exact uh, number. But basically, we generate a lot more wealth than uh, every individual worker needs. But what things in society could be better? What could we be funding instead of the exorbitant salaries of a few? So, And that would go into education, too. Why yeah, don't we I- have an education system that functions properly, has teachers paid well, uh, an appropriate amount of students per class, and the best mm-hmm. education possible for every child. And equality. Well, and I, yeah, you know? and I've changed as a teacher that, school, for instance, schools could be, I, I don't really believe in the idea of administrators. Um, I've seen in other places where schools were run quite well by a core cadre of experienced teachers who trained the less experienced teachers as well to eventually take on and and basically rotate those leadership type jobs, all right? And it worked much better. Um, and you, you have a point here because we bought it and, and base, we, in fact, the U.S. government didn't really, when they bailed out the auto industry, we really didn't buy it. We gave them corporate welfare, and we got nothing in return. That's right. what it boils down to. Um, so, yeah, I totally agree. Um, let's look at, besides pay, let's look at working conditions, okay? My understanding is that um, – the big three, especially at Stellantis, there were some very dangerous working conditions, you know, including workers anonymously reporting that uh, basically there were parts of the plant that were poorly lit, especially by stairwells. Um, There were, you know, people in the painting department using spray paint on the cars, and yet they weren't given breathing gear other than an N95 mask and when you're painting you need serious breathing gear on top of it um, you know workers have died Stellantis plant can you speak to the dangerous working conditions in these car plants especially at Stellantis and I'm talking about the Rockford plant in particular um, I'm not really I can speak more broadly about, I mean, lots of plants. I mean, uh, Danny Walters died in at Dana in Dry Ridge, Kentucky, with basically uh, had a seizure, collapsed, and they didn't want to stop the line. The UAW did nothing. Um, uh, basically, a worker uh, ran over to try to help him, and uh, they got him to a hot. He eventually passed, basically, because of all this mishandling of things, but. Mm-hmm. Uh, Stephen Deerkiss at Caterpillar uh, was melted in half in a molten iron crucible. 
lack of training, uh, extremely dangerous work environment. Uh, Catherine Pace died of COVID-19 in Michigan at an auto plant, uh, basically in a paint department where everybody was catching COVID and she was one of that past. I mean, and none of these deaths are, have ever had the company held to account for any of them. Um, and never should have happened in the first place. Yes, the auto industry is extremely dangerous. Um, lots of heavy equipment, machinery, stuff that's not maintained correctly. They try to get workers to, in some cases, uh, bear the responsibility of the maintenance of things in terms of uh, they want you to sign off on different pieces of equipment uh, that you use when if you're not skilled trades, you know, someone that's supposed to be inspecting these things or doing a preventative maintenance task on them, then you're not supposed to really be uh, accountable for the equipment you're using. So it is a very uh, intense, dangerous environment, um, and it's not only Stellantis by any means. There are lots of horror stories that I've heard from uh, multiple different plants, uh, I mean, GM, uh, like you said, Stellantis, Ford, uh, Mac, I know, is definitely very unsafe where I work. Um, and it's it's not isolated to one plant, and it's not isolated to one country either. And that being said, though, that's happening more and more in every industry. Um, right. In rail, you know, redu- uh, lengthening the trains that they're uh, right. responsible for, and they try to reduce the amount of manning on them. I um, mean, nursing, they try to, and I, I think it matters because these are all working class issues. You know, we need to look at them all as we are, we need to be solid together. But nursing in terms of staffing, uh, yeah. they, they have improper staffing ratios. Uh, mm-hmm. Teachers, as we said, with COVID and some classrooms that are really horrific. I stopped sure. by a strike of Columbus teachers uh, last year during the auto campaign, and it's horrific everywhere. So, yeah. It's not, I don't mean to, I know I'm on to talk about auto, but it is every sector that's really having it, these uh, issues. And during COVID, for instance, because uh, the show, we did a series early on during COVID and where basically nurses couldn't get PPP doctors did. They could, they were using trash bags for PPP. Right. I kid not. And that is absolutely outrageous. Um so, yeah, once again, uh, it's all industries. It's a lack of regulation. I mean, you know, we live in a, a political era where, uh, you know, mainstream media as well as politicians keep talking about how everything needs to be deregulated and the magic of the markets will somehow work. And, you know, there's another word for regulation. It's called rule of law. All right. And right now, it's like the Wild West out there. I agree with you. Um and and we do need to band together. Uh, I would love to see members of the unions from the skilled trades and other unions as well as teachers and nurses and SAG and the Writers Guild, all of them come together um, because, I, you know, in my opinion, none of this is going to be fixed. We're not going to get a fair shake. And the politicians, either party, aren't going to listen until, and I'm going to say something really radical, until there's a series of mass general strikes where everything is shut down with the sole exception of emergency medical and firefighters. That's it. 
and not just one. It's going to have to happen rolling waves like they do in France and other European countries. Um, you know, that's just, I'm putting out, that's my opinion. But uh, you talk a lot about, you mention a lot of different unions. And for instance, with teachers, you know, I live in Missouri. And in Missouri, it is illegal for teachers to strike. In fact, most states it is. Not only, if you go on strike, not only can you be fired, but you can lose your professional credential permanently. And you can be criminally tried and face jail time. Which to me, I don't know how that can't be seen as a denial of equal right to negotiate, public employee or not. But let's talk a little bit about an old law that really interfered and really hurt the union, um, the unions in general, and that's Taft-Hartley. Uh, a lot of people don't know much about it, believe it or not. It's not taught in school very much. Um, can you just basically explain in plain terms what Taft-Hartley has done to the to the uh, labor movement and why it needs to? Well, I, think, I, I do want to explain, though, with it. I mean, the idea of any law illegalizing action of workers, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, there was once a rep that said, uh, there's no such thing as an illegal strike, only an unsuccessful one. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not really a matter, I think, of a, a law limiting the unions. The unions always look for any excuse to say, we can't do that uh, because X, Y, or Z, whether the con- it's the contract or the government says we can't do it. The unions, now I'm, not, I'm saying that they're fundamentally flawed in this way, they're supposed to be worker, workers' organizations, but right. they're not answering to the call of what the workers want to do. Right. So fundamentally, workers need something that does answer to the call of what the workers want to do. And, I mean, what we were talking about in terms of uh, every sector having an ability to uh, do what, you know, the workers are calling to do, and that's what I'm talking about with building rank-and-file committees on every floor and if anyone on this, uh, that's listening would like to build a rank-and-file committee on their floor, I mean, WSWS.org is mm-hmm. who you need to reach out to, uh, contact them, and they can help you with that. Or right. me, I mean, Will Lehman. Sure. Um, but And I can get you in touch with you know someone that we can talk about what that means. But essentially, the role of legality, uh, if you look at France, uh, some of what they have done is some of what the workers have done in the protest is not legal, but it's the question of what is the role, what what's the social essentially function of society and how do workers need it to be? And it comes to a question of uh, if society is not in the way workers everywhere need it to be and where the vast majority of people, uh, the working classes, the vast majority, majority of the uh, planet, um, Mm -hmm. why isn't society organized in a way that the workers are deeming fit? Um, Why are we – same thing with the protests in France. Ultimately, um, it fell short of essentially repealing Macron's government. And that's why, I mean, when we're talking about uh, like the pension age increased from I believe Mm -hmm. it was 62 to 64, uh, that's why it got ran through. 
um, there's a fundamental question of uh, what you what you can have under capitalism and what you need uh, going forward. If, if you want a worker's society, that's I ran as a socialist um, in the UAW campaign, and I wasn't afraid to tell workers that this is how capitalism is. If workers need uh, cost of living, if workers need their fundamental needs to be met, mm-hmm. then that's not happening under capitalism. And it raises the question of socialism and what socialism is. Uh, workers need to uh, basically have an understanding of that, an understanding of history of that. And, I mean, it raises the question, why are we still continuing under a capitalist system if it's fundamentally broken for the entire working class? Well, I think a lot of that is because most Americans, they hear the word communist or socialist, and they think totalitarian dictatorship. They really don't understand it. One thing I do want to clarify, though, as a, as a teacher, okay, in most states in the United States, okay, it is not only illegal for teachers to strike, they can face and sometimes do face criminal charges so that of all the unions, they are the one that really has no support at all. I mean, we're talking, it's not hyperbole, Well, this is real. Uh, in those states, you can lose your credential that you've worked for your entire life permanently, it's revoked, as well as be fired and face criminal charges and jail time. It's quite real. And when teachers did need to go on strike, they did anyway, and they risked everything, including their freedom. Um, you know, we need to realize that not every union faces the same challenges exactly, maybe the same general challenges, but not specific. And we all need to back each other up. And what we found was that, you know, a lot of the other unions did not support us. They, they really right. didn't. And, you know, it was one of those things, especially, um, and I hesitate to call them a union, the police officers union. Um, you know, in my opinion, they should be kicked out of the AFL-CIO because, again, they are the ones defending management, okay? Uh, you know, basically, we saw on TV our local union president here in St. Louis, as well as several other members, hauled away in handcuffs so that when, and again, the animus directed at teachers, you know, without teachers, there's nothing. And you know, once again, I'm not a fan of Randy Weingarten's, that's for sure. But, you know, once again, I think this also ties in with issues of sexism because, you know, majority of teachers are still female. Um, it's still female dominated. Uh, what happens at the collegiate level, you know, again, these are people that are, you know, they, they have PhDs and are about to complete a PhD. They're in debt heavily. And they make so little because a lot of times they're just paid per course that they're not even, by the time you factor in all the extra time they put in, they're not even making minimum wage. And so this is, you know, let's face it, this is the pink collar unions and they need, they need assistance. Okay. They, they truly do. Um, Because once again, it's my brothers and sisters, you know, in teaching that were hauled off in handcuffs. And this is right. something where, you know, we have to uh, deal with the fact 
that you can't say that you have a right to commerce in this country when only the rich have a right to commerce and labor doesn't. Because let's be honest, the only real negotiating tool, the only big stick that labor has is the strike or the work slowdown. Okay, we had blue flu, all right, and or just a work slowdown where you showed up and you did nothing. You know, once again, when what, from workers all could though, we're all in this together and not fight each other. You know, right. that's and I, so I do I, agree that. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I was. I was just. Go ahead, hon. I do agree that uh, we do need to back each other, but when the union heads don't do it, the workers need an organization that will. And I absolutely back teachers. I'm just, I'm a regular factory floor worker. I ran for president, but I am a regular floor worker and I back all these other sectors. I think we should be operating in that way. And that's why I ran promoting that, uh, the IWARC as I did, because I do agree with that. And there are lots of workers with me that do. Um, 5,000 workers voted for me in the election where essentially the vast majority was cut out. Right. Only 9% were even able to vote and 5,000 workers agreed. Oh, so, yeah, I'm not faulting you at all, but there is this. No, 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 I know. I just mean that there is support, but we need to be able to wield that support. And that's right. why we, if the unions aren't doing it and they can't be pressured to do it, then just the, that's why my appeal is to the workers on the floor to get mm-hmm. together and wield that support. Because like you said, when uh, teachers need action and they need support, workers do need to move to support that. I absolutely agree with that. But we yeah. need an organization uh, that can do that. And it's not, it's bigger than a trade union that we need to look at. And I would say too, even bigger than a general strike, whether it's calling for uh, the seizing of the means of production, for example. I mean, that sounds uh, maybe radical to some, but if society is continuing to exploit every worker in it to the level that it has, then workers need to think in terms of what is the next step then? Yeah, society think, not be better? I don't think I can agree that one because again we do I do believe in some ownership rights uh, again the means of production does management no good if there are no workers and I think this really comes down so I, I wouldn't go that far but this comes down to the fact that when people are they have nowhere else to go but up they're at rock bottom you know it, it's a lot of them are afraid but, you know, again, the unions need to look at also the fact maybe part of it is the union leadership idea, you know, the idea that you have a president in charge. Maybe this should be not only an executive committee, but then satellite small, uh, larger committees that all work together like in a Congress, as opposed to this one person being in charge. You know, I think we need to look at that as well. So I, I'm not going to agree about the whole seizing means of production. Um, that's, yeah, I can't go there. Um, 
but again, the means of well, workers essentially did in the Flint sit-down strike. I mean, they did seize the means of production, and that's how they in 1936 to 37, and that's how they won what they did win. And production to me, it made okay. I misunderstood what you were saying. Okay. So, yes, the sit-down strike, I get that. To me, that's not seizing the means of production. To me, that's stopping production. When I hear seize, I hear we're just going to, you know, just take it forcefully. So, you know. Well, I mean, where where they stopped, that's, that was the limit of what they were able to get under capitalism when all the production was only in the U.S. And that's mm-hmm. what, like, auto workers would need to understand is had they – that that was basically something they were able to get because it was going to go further. And that's mm-hmm. the only reason they were going to, that's the only reason the companies were essentially about to lose the plant, mm-hmm. were essentially about to lose their private ownership. That's why they gave the workers what they conceded temporarily. Mm-hmm. But the decades of degradation since are mm-hmm. in basically because that's where the workers stop short. And that's why I would say, uh, and it's fine if, uh, you know, you don't agree with uh, the, the idea, but essentially leaving it in the hands of a private ruling class, that's fundamentally who you're against. That's who's exploiting, whether it's teachers or auto workers or rail workers, those private owners are why the conditions are the way they are today. And, you know, whether it be any sector, why uh-huh. we're not calling the shots. Go ahead. Okay. Well, just teachers and education, that's not owned by private sector. That's public, but which is right. another reason that public employees can't strike, which I think is nonsense. But, um, you know, again, it's a matter of we can stop production, but that's going to call for unity. And that means also seeing everybody as a worker, whether it's not just nurses, but doctors, young doctors that are heavily in debt have, have joined unions as well because they're being abused by the insurance companies. Um, whether you're a doctor, auto worker, teacher, professor, communications worker, um, food worker, whatever, we all need to be in more direct communication and then assisting us, assisting each other. And instead, um, this culture, this they call it a culture war. I don't call it that. It's a culture of hate. Um, basically, is pitted worker against worker. Just has. Too many Americans don't realize capitalism means you actually have capital. All right? If you don't privately own capital, you're really not a capitalist. It means you're, in a cor- you're under a corporate rule which is slightly different. And they also don't understand the fact that regardless of your educational level, we are all workers. All right. We are all workers. We're all under this system and we don't share ownership. I mean, personally, um, you know, I would love to see auto workers as part of their contract, for instance, get stock options and actually become owners of the plant, partial owners anyway. Um, 
you know, we have to come up with a, a way to join together. Uh, you know, we saw how SEG and the Writers Guild stuck together. You know, Drew Barrymore, I don't watch her show, but she gave this nonsense excuse for going back on the air because she had, you know, workers that were going to lose their jobs. Now, mind you, she probably had enough money to keep paying them while they were out on strike. She chose not to. And because members of SAG and the Writers Guild got on her as well as the public, she pulled her show. We do need that public ostracism once again. Um, just like one last question, because we've been talking for a while now. What, are, what ideas do you have that could bring all these different disparate groups that are workers together to help each other? Well, that's what I ran on doing was calling on workers to form those organizations and get in contact with each other by forming rank-and-file committees. Um, like I said, uh, the initiative essentially by that's promoted on the WSWS.org, uh, that's how we can communicate with each other. I've spoken to rank, uh, different workers in different sectors, and that's how I know what I do know about these other sectors because they're in rank and file committees and they're mm -hmm. communicating with us. Mm -hmm. um, so, I mean, that's why I view too uh, these other important uh, sectors as uh, relevant because I'm talking with workers in those sectors and they're telling me what their conditions are under. And it's not only me that they're talking to, of course, but workers in other rank and file committees. And when there are enough workers together, uh, that's when we can really make moves, take action to back each other. But that kind of thing needs to be built. Um, and the appeals to the union for reform, I don't believe, are going to do that. I do believe that it's a matter of uh, workers to getting together that are just regular workers, not paid officials or representatives um, that aren't attached to the work anymore. Um, and I think that, you know, building that is how we're going to eventually bring about what we the changes we need to see in society. And it's not only like uh, me calling for, you know, only the things I'm saying. It's mm -hmm. workers need their voices heard. There are a lot of workers with a lot of ideas, and uh, that needs to be brought forward. And I, I would say that forming a rank-and-file committee is the way to do that. Uh, and basically rank and file committee just meaning you're the rank and file on the floor wherever you are uh, and you need to get together with your coworkers and start talking about what you need and basically expanding that to, you know, we're getting in contact with our other rank and file committees and that's how we're going to uh, move forward. I don't see any kind of movement forward happening under these trade unions. They've been at the wheel for plenty long. And they've demonstrated in every sector that they're, what their limits are. And I think workers, you know, when they draw that lesson, uh, will, you know, move to build organizations of our own. Okay. Well, thank you so much for your time, Will. You, we really appreciate it. Um, and God bless you for all that you do. Thanks. Thanks all for right. having me on. All right. Bye-bye. Bye.
Okay, so that was Will Lehman uh, on the auto worker strike. Um, we had a lot of common interests. Obviously, I didn't agree with everything he had to say. Um, you know, again, I think that what we need actually is a series of general strikes in every sector with the sole exception of medical emergency um, uh, professionals and firefighters. And everything else needs to come to a grinding halt. And I'm talking a series of general strikes, just does. Um, I also believe that we need to re repeal Taft-Hartley. It was a bad law when it first came about. It was unneeded. Uh, you know, you see that, you know, President Biden is getting all this good publicity. He's going to go down and, and march with the strikers of the UAW. Okay. But again, it's just publicity. Look what the Biden administration did to the railway workers, screwed them over entirely. Um, so I, I think there's a lot of stuff here that we have to unpack. Again, I apologize for all the technical problems at the beginning of our show. Um, I would just say that TNN is going to be looking for a new um, platform because this one, there's been too many problems on Block Talk. Um, but I do apologize. You know, once again, this is something that a lot of Americans do not really understand. Um, you know, again, Taft-Hartley, as well as, you know, the Taft-Hartley Act really hurt unions, and it was designed to do so. You know, it's Taft-Hartley that allowed states to introduce what they call right-to-work laws. Okay, let's call it what it's right-to-work for a lot less. All right. And now it, the slide is so slippery. Now we have Republican governors like Sarah Huckabee Sanders basically repealing laws that outlaw child labor, especially in certain types of jobs. And why do they want child labor again? So they can pay them less, so they can abuse them more, because the kid's not going to understand that. That's all there is to it. And we have mainstream read corporate Democrats that have remained silent and done very little to nothing. This is the issue right now. Uh, again, as I mentioned with Will, you know, in terms of teachers, teachers unions, if teachers go out on strike and most states in the United States outlaw a teacher's right to strike, there are a few that do allow it. But if you're in a state like Missouri, where the right to, uh, teachers are forbidden to strike, not only do you lose all your credentials, let's say you're a teacher, okay, and, and teachers' unions are being attacked left and right, and they are strong unions. National Education Association is 3 million strong. AFT, American Federation of Teachers, which is part of the AFL-CIO, by the way, is 1.75 million strong, just here in the United States. And if you're in a state like Missouri where it is illegal for a teacher to strike, and let's say your, your, uh, your credentials are you're certified to teach K through 5 as well as secondary. You're certified as a, a psychological tester and special and all those things. You can lose not only your job if you strike, 
you can lose your, your all your licensure can be revoked permanently. Everything you've worked for. So you can't you you are no longer a teacher. And you can be criminally charged and face jail time. In what world is that viewed as democratic action? I want to know. And we have Randy Weingarten in, in New York, the head of AFT, doing essentially nothing. And she's a licensed attorney. Now, I've met Ryan, Randy Weingarten when I was right before I retired, I think back in 2012, something like that. And I was still publishing on Huffington Post. And she was very flattering. But the fact is, She's done next to nothing to protect teachers. You know, with COVID, for instance, the fact is anybody who has kids knows they're, they're little germ collectors. They just are. And with COVID in particular, no, children for the most part didn't get really sick with COVID. Instead, they were carriers. There are thousands, tens of thousands of children that are now COVID orphans. They brought it home to their parents or grandparents who were taking care of them, and their caretakers died. And that is what Randy Weingarten, along with the government, expected us to do. They expected us to risk our lives because of all the ignorant MAGA morons out there that don't believe COVID's real. People have refused to vaccinate. People have refused to mask up. Teachers were perfectly within their rights to refuse to show up. They just were. This is just, it's outrageous. So we're going to be talking more about this in the future, uh, about the fact that the Taft-Hartley Act has to go, about the fact that we need greater cooperation between unions. Okay, In my home state, again, of Missouri, you rarely see um basically members of the skilled trade unions supporting teachers. It doesn't happen. Or if it does, it's very rare. Just doesn't happen. But then they want our support. You see people say, you see members of the policemen's union saying support the police officer's union. The same police officer come to arrest striking teachers and haul them away in handcuffs. Okay. Will is has done some good work. Um, I don't really believe, and, and this is where we can agree to disagree, I don't believe in government by committee either. I think we all need to come together. I think this takes everybody. Um, but, you know, once again, this is an instance where we need to borrow a page from workers in France. And other Europe and in Italy, other European nations, where yes, they have public health care for everybody. Uh, when you mention to, you know, a European resident and ask them how many people go bankrupt from medical expenses, they look at you like you're crazy because it doesn't happen. And they have better health care than we have here. Better outcomes. When you ask them, they have a food system where they get fresh food. They're not. They're not going to the grocery store and buying food that is filled with chemical supplements that aren't even food. Okay? We need to borrow a page from members of the European Union, like France and Italy, places like that, not Great Britain, um, where basically we hit the streets. 
all right? And we shut it down. We just shut it down, okay? They have a real retirement system. Here, we have Republicans attacking Social Security, wanting to dismantle it, attacking Medicare, wanting to dismantle it. And again, corporate Democrats doing nothing to stop it. This is what's going on. And it's never going to change until we all do a series of massive general strikes. Shut it down. That's what has to happen. And I don't just mean one general strike. I mean a series, nonstop, at unpredicted times. That's it. And to the affluent people that it inconveniences, tough. You know, people can't live. They can't. You know, Bernie Sanders was right. If you work 40 hours a week, you should be able to afford to live. And you can't. You can't afford rent. You can't afford a mortgage. You can't afford food. You can't afford health care. All right? This is, we are being treated like beasts of burden. This isn't just about leadership. This is about a failure of the, ma- of the American public to realize, you know what? We're at rock bottom. And when you're at rock bottom and you're dying, you have nowhere to go but up. And that's what we have to do. So with that, I say I hope you learned something from this special report. Um, We're going to be talking about this more in the future because, once again, this is something that affects everybody who works for a living. It just does. You know, we can't afford to live. That's it in a nutshell. And we have a billionaire class and a corporate class that has bribed the majority of our politicians, both parties, put bluntly. You know, the criminals are running the government. And on top of which, then you have this fake populist group, the MAGA morons, the Trumpers, that want to blame all their problems on minorities and people they don't like while failing to see that the rich, it's the corporate class, it's the billionaire class that has caused this, this lunacy, period. The bigotry's always been there, but once again, we need to stick together. We don't have to like each other. But we need to realize we need each other if you want a fair deal. You know, if you don't like that trans person, that gay person, that Jew, that socialist, whatever, guess what? You don't need to like them. But we need to all work together so we can get a fair deal. Because we're the ones doing the work. Wake up, people. Hope you learned something with that. I say good night and God bless.